Welcome to an episode of the Cartridge Club. A fantastic episode, I should say. This is the podcast where we discuss our game of the month with members of the Cartridge Club community. If you played along, you can always share your own experiences in the forums at cartridgeclub.org or in our community's Discord or on Twitter at CartridgeClubNA. My name is Josh, also known on the interwebs as Frannick, and I'm one of the hosts for this show. Here with me is Lauren at Gizmos Gamer. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show today. Blink at Blinkoom. How you doing, man? I'm doing real good. Thank you. We did uh, Yoshi's Island together also for the Cartridge Club. Those good times. Just another great game. We're two for two. Spoilers. <laughs> and Dylan uh, at DC Charles on Twitter. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Fantastic, man. I'm excited for this. I've been looking forward to this for a while, actually. So, before we jump into the show, I'm going to do a story breakdown. Let's get into it. And this month, we played the narrative adventure game from Don't Nod and Square Enix, Life is Strange. This is a title where your choices do matter and have great effects on the narrative. Speaking of narrative... In Life is Strange, you play as Max Caulfield, going to an art school called Blackwell Academy in Arcadia Bay. One day, Max starts having bad dreams of a tornado coming to hit the town, and over the course of the day, she finds out that she has the powers to remind time. Man, I wish I had that power. She saves her childhood best friend's Chloe Price's life, and then they get together to try to solve the mystery of Chloe's missing friend, Rachel Amber. But are Max's powers enough to piece it all together? So Life is Strange, guys. I love this game. I was super excited to replay it. I'm going to start off today with just everybody's overall impressions of the game. Have you played it before? Did you enjoy it? What parts of the game made you enjoy it as much as you did? If anybody wants to just jump in, go ahead. Yeah, so I'll start us off. Um, so okay. I picked up this game a couple of months ago. My husband and I went into a game store and I saw it on the shelf and really knew nothing about it. And it just looked like a great game because I've really never played decision-making games before. Um, so I decided to try it out and then realized that it's the December game of the month. So that kind of put a fire under me to actually play it um, pretty quickly. Um, and I think I knew from the first five minutes of the game that I was going to love it. In one of the first scenes, Max walks out of the photography room at her school and there's this snippy girl in this corner of the hallway and she says, oh, Max is so quiet. And that's like been the story of my life. So Max just puts in her, her headphones, turns on some good music and drowns out the noise of the world. Um, so right off the bat, I kind of just aligned with Max as a character. So from there, it was just the storyline and everything. It just, uh, I really loved it. Um, so I had, uh, I'd actually heard of uh, the game before, like on different podcasts and obviously. Um, but uh, I'd never played it before the Cartridge Club um, picked it for the game of the month. So I took that as an opportunity to actually experience it for the first time. And I really enjoyed it, actually, from basically beginning to end. Um, and I, I knew very little about it other than that it had a very dark storyline and it took place in a high school. Like, I didn't know anything about the re uh, rewind mechanic or anything beyond the story. So I, I kind of went into it pretty fresh. So I played it for the first time back in 2015 or 2016. It was about a year after it first came out. And I was like pretty hot off of playing uh, the first Walking Dead game. And so I was just eager for more choice-related stuff. And a friend of mine recommended this one to me. And, and so I picked it up. And honestly, the first thing that jumped out is the soundtrack to this game. Like, it is very much... Uh, like in the Venn diagram of my musical tastes, this like squarely lands into one of the circles of the Venn and, and then beyond that, yeah, the story is just very well told. I think they do a good job uh, with um, like breadcrumbing you with stressful things or big decisions. And then also uh, more like quiet, more laid back, relaxed stuff too. So yeah, it was good to revisit it and it's just great game. Yeah. I heard about this, 
most likely on a podcast because that's where I hear 90% of my game recommendations. But <laughs> I heard that it had a rewind mechanic, which I thought that was super interesting to me because a lot of the time you go to a narrative game and it's just, you know, you go point A, point B, point A, point, you know, C to D, E to F, and you don't actually get any decisions where you can be like, okay, well, what if I said something differently here? And then you could rewind. So I thought that was a really interesting mechanic for a game and definitely makes this game a lot harder when you kind of know what each outcome is going to happen, but you don't know what's going to happen after that scene. So you'd be like, so if you say this one thing and then you say the other thing, you can rewind and see the different outcomes. And uh, it's like, maybe I shouldn't say that, but if I say that, is that a good thing or a bad thing? So it kind of just has a very unique, you know, mechanic behind it too. Yeah, I feel like that aspect of the game really made me understand a little bit more about how I make decisions in real life because I found that I de-escalated probably 90% of the decisions and the way that plays out later in the game is really telling um, because certain people will feel more favorable towards you and help you out later in the game um, whereas my husband played it and he wasn't as um, kind in some areas and then it came back to bite him so he had to rewind a bunch <laughs> um, but I think it I think it can be telling of even just the moral decisions that are brought up in this game um, kind of where you stand outside in, in real life as well. I agree. And this is also, this game is so rough about this because I feel like Max specifically tries to make you doubt <laughs> yeah. every decision mm -hmm. that you make. So sometimes there'll be like an obvious moral choice where I'll be like, oh yeah, I'm definitely going to tell the principal about this. And then I'll feel great about it until I done with the decision and she mutters under her breath like, wow, that was a waste of my time. And now everyone's <laughs> mad at me. I'm sure this is going to come back to bite me. And I'm like, oh no, did I do it wrong? But then you rewind. If you choose the other decision, you feel equally bad. And so I always just leave feeling like Shh, I, I, I took my shot. I hope it's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I tried just to kind of go with my gut because I told the principal too. And then I felt like it was going to come back to bite me. And it kind of did. <laughs> but um... mm -hmm. this obviously has spoilers. So <laughs> if you haven't played this game, please play before you listen to this, which I probably should have said at the top. Um, so <laughs> it, there, I think the only time that she doesn't second guess herself that I noticed in the game was when she where I chose not to let Chloe steal money from the handicap fund. Like she was fine with that decision. Like there was no second guessing that, which I thought was funny. <laughs> Cause I was like very clearly like probably shouldn't steal from the handicap fund. Um, the, the $5,000 in cash uh, later in the game. That, that moment's kind of ironic. Cause if you steal the money and then of course you get the alternate timeline and then she's handicapped, you uh. know, Chloe's handicapped later. So it's kind of like, I don't know. Were you evil enough to do that? I, I did steal the money this time during this playthrough. I was like, ah, I'm what? <laughs> yeah, I totally, I totally did it. I was like, I didn't want to, but Frank had my gun at the time um, because I didn't shoot at him because I wanted to de-escalate. So I didn't shoot at him. And I was like, if I don't have money, he's going to kill me later on. So I took it too. And I felt horrible. But then everything worked out with Frank. You, so. you can still talk him down. You feel really good if you don't take it because you get to see a ramp get built you're like Can yeah you? look at that ramp that i contributed i helped everybody out i was like someday i'll just donate to the school when i've <laughs> when i've made it as an artist i'll give back <laughs> with the ending i chose that's not possible oh okay mm. <laughs> we can get into the ending in a little bit but <laughs> the thing is is i sold that five thousand dollars and then like whenever you do like the crazy end sequence when like the reality is kind of bending in on itself and you're seeing all your like past people that you interacted with the principal will be there in like the hallway be like who would steal money from the handicap fund and he's all like walking through with the flashlights you know we're trying to do that the stealth sequence and stuff so i like when games actually remember your choices and i think that's the main conceit of this game like it remembers your choices and they affect in really surprising ways so we're talking about the story and the rewind mechanic. So the basic mechanic is you have multiple options that you can pick. So what is the hardest decision you guys had to make during this game? Gosh, hardest decision? Yeah. Uh, so excluding the ending decision, which I think is kind of by default, maybe the, the hardest one I had to make, the, the, the next hardest one was... 
when I was on the roof with Kate and trying to talk her down and trying to decide if it was her, I couldn't remember if it was her mother or her father that she had the closer relationship to. And so going back and forth between like, because I had the feeling that if I guessed wrong there, that would be it. And I was correct. And I guessed wrong. And so that was probably the one I spent the most time just going back and forth on is trying to remember which which parent she was closer to. And it's not her mom uh, at all. So during your playthrough, uh, Kate did jump. She yes, that that made me put the game down for a week. Actually, that was that was a rough one. Um, Okay, so when I played through this back in 2015 or 2016, I also failed to save Kate, and I have lived with the guilt of that for years. It has like it, it is probably top three like most traumatic video game experiences that I've ever had. And so when I went back to do my replay this time, I was like, the only thing I care about in this game is saving Kate. I don't care if the world burns. I don't care if every other character dies. It is going to be me and Kate at the end of this game, happily ever after. And so, I, and so I knew I made all the right decisions, or I obviously favored Kate in every way that I possibly could and was able to save her this time. Yeah, and then I feel like if you do save her, which I actually managed to save her two times. I'm not trying to bla- brag. Each time I played it, I, I did save her. So I don't know. I, I, pro- I think the first time I felt like I... Just, just rub it in, <laughs> I Josh. think the first time I did it, I was more lucky than anything because I really didn't really know and I just kind of lucked out. This time I kind of like paid more attention to the environmental clues because I knew to do that because if you go into her room, you can look inside of her Bible and see that you know she, she has like a family picture. So that's one of the questions that uh, you didn't you didn't pass on right, Dylan? Like you said that you picked the wrong right. parent. Yeah. So I mean, if you pay attention to that, the the thing that you don't know you're gonna need later on in the game, pretty much, then that's how you save her. But um, the hardest decision for me, and I think it might end up being one of the easiest decisions too at the same time because Max realizes that she can look at pictures and go back in time, so she saves Chloe's dad, and then that ends up basically Carmack. Karma com- comes back in and gets Chloe in the same in a car wreck instead of her father, and she's you know in a in a handicapped wheelchair. And then you go and spend a day with her, and at the very end of that whole situation, you you realize Chloe's in a lot of pain. So she asks you to kill her, and that that moment right there, I already knew it was going to happen on this playthrough, but the first time it really hit me really hard, and I started crying and everything. Like it really hit me hard, and I was like. I, I got to do this, but I don't want to do it. You know what I mean? Like I ended up doing it both times. I played this game, but each time I, it was like the hardest decision ever. Cause you know, you, you've been playing this game probably eight hours up to this point with Chloe, you know, bonding with her, seeing how Max loves her, you know, best friends forever. And then knowing how hard that would be for Chloe, I really put myself in her shoes in that moment thinking how hard that would have been. So that, on an emotional level, really hits me probably the hardest, or at least one of the hardest moments in the game. That's that's probably my hardest decision outside of the final as well. Um, just whether or not you help her OD, and I actually chose not to. Um, and I paused the game and thought about it for a while, and I stepped mm-hmm. away for a couple of days too, because it's one of those things that her parents are going to be in in what an hour or something, and and find her and have so many questions about the dosage, and I just. I mean, Max is in high school. I was like, I, I wouldn't know how to manage that in high school. That's such a tough thing to ask a friend to do. Um, but I definitely understand trying to put yourself in, in Chloe's shoes and her being in so much pain, knowing the outcome in just a couple of weeks, what would happen to her. Um, but yeah, that was, that was one of those tough moral decisions for me as well. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to think back to when I was 18, I didn't, when I was 18, I didn't care about anything. I wanted to drive around town with my friends and goof off and stuff. Like I didn't think about anything serious like this. So 18 years old, like that's, that's not, you know, you're not mature enough. I mean, she autom she automatically has to be because of the situation she's in, but like, you're not really mature enough to make that type of decision. It's just a really hard and crazy decision to make. Yeah. I think she probably grew up and matured really quickly in that one week time. Um, <laughs> Yep. But yeah. <laughs> the yeah. people even say that to to her as you go through the game, like towards the end of it, is like, you're really different this week. It's like, yes, yes, very much so. 
<laughs> well, if you think about it, she's been rewinding so much. She probably has been that week probably lasted two months mm-hmm. for her or more, you know, because she's rewinding so often. Any characters that st- stand out in this game? What's your favorite character in Life Strange? Honestly, probably Max is my favorite character, even though that's like the obvious go to answer, just because one, she's so fleshed out, and I feel like you get to learn a lot about her personality compared to some of the others. A lot of the other characters are kind of like they have one defining like personality trait that can change in one or two ways over the course of the story, but they're kind of like on one track that might split. Whereas Max is a little more multi-layered, but I mean, I do have to give a shout out to my boy Warren. I, I want nothing but nothing but the best for Warren. You're going to go ape with Warren, huh? <laughs> Going ape. <laughs> So Max would probably be my my mine as well. Actually, she was probably a lot like I was in high school. Like I was in photography class for three years in in high school. I was very quiet uh, and and pretty reserved. So I, I kind of she resonated with me a lot. And not so much Warren, who also was a lot like me in high school. But it was just like I don't want to be reminded of that aspect of me. Like keep him away. Um, <laughs> but but really following her was was easy and was easy to make the decisions I would make through her because a lot of the ways that she acted would be how I acted. What about you, Lauren? Is it Max as well? For me, it wasn't Max, but now, I don't know. She's so compelling, (laughs) and now you guys might make me change, but Chloe was probably my favorite, um, probably because she's so different than I am, but I loved her energy, and she comes across as just, you know, she has a hard exterior, but as you go through some of the alternate realities, you learn so much more about why she is the way she is. Because it's difficult when you come back after X amount of years in a different state um, and she's changed so much. But one of the things that I loved seeing is when you do rewind time through the picture and go back to when you and Chloe were both young, um, you see her in more of an innocent stage of her life before she loses her dad. Um, And that, I think, changed my perspective of Chloe quite a bit because she didn't always start out as a rebel, but she had just been hurt and left and abandoned so many times and so i don't know there's there's a reason that she comes across kind of difficult and hard and because of that i think she's my favorite i could go and say max is my favorite but i honestly think that's written that way i think she's the most compelling character because you're playing through her through her eyes so she's the most developed Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. i think if i was gonna say chloe uh Besides Nathan Prescott, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Chloe is my favorite character in the game because she's just a really, you know, she's a really compelling character. She she has layers to her, like you were saying, uh, Lauren. She's very, you know, she's punk rock. She wants to be punk rock. She wants to, they, they, they mention when they do the alternate timeline that she wants to have blue hair, like the characters in Blade Runner and stuff. So she has that geeky side to her too. She has that, the more you learn about her, the more you kind of fall in love with her as much as max does which i think is pretty uh pretty big feat as you play through the game what i like about what you said lauren about going back and seeing early chloe is you realize that so much of what she like her current personality in present day is born out of the last few years and redefining your identity like that in a few years is such a high school ass thing to do (laughs) to like completely flip from one version of yourself to another so rapidly. And so a lot of this game, I feel like my, my gut reaction to characters or to situations is to be kind of like, Oh, that's a little, that's a little awkward or that's like a little cringy. But then you realize, well, that's because high school kids are awkward and cringy. And that's like, (laughs) you're 100% just getting into that headspace and and chloe does the best of any character with that yeah and i think not only is it a coming of age story for max but maybe equally so for chloe and i haven't played the prequel but i think there'll be a lot more of that of how she changes but from the glimpses that i did get to see of chloe and just even little moments of max and chloe in her bedroom listening to music and dancing and she really pulls max out of her shell quite a bit so in those aspects i i really grew to love chloe as a character that's a, that's actually a really good point what you just said too because that's part of why I relate to Max is I was when I was in high school I wasn't like I wasn't a jock or I wasn't like a punk rock kid or anything 
but I was very much someone that like had connections or friends in a lot of those different groups. And so the way that Max and Chloe are very different, but they like find common ground to relate and hang out in certain ways. And Chloe pulls in Max in some ways and Max reels her back in some ways was very, is very relatable to, to me and my experience. Okay. So the, the, the game life is strange is split into an episodic format. So we got five chapters here, each with, you know, two to three hours of gameplay. Do you think that the episodic format helped this game out or hurt this game in the long run? I actually really enjoy the episodic format. Um, it gives me um, a, a feeling of accomplishment much sooner in the game uh, as opposed to having to finish the whole game. Like That's part of the reason why it's, it's hard for me to complete a game uh, because I'll, I'll, get a, I'll make some decent progress and then I'll, I'll just kind of I'll, I'll dial it down and I'll lose interest as we go along. Uh, so having those kind of like little check marks as we go and is, is really satisfying for me. It's the first episodic game I've actually played. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that as well. Um, it gives some kind of satisfaction of, oh, I checked it off. And then it kind of what I really liked about each episode is at the end of the episode, it goes through kind of a, a check in with each of your favorite characters or the main characters of how they're mm-hmm. doing. Um, and I like that the episodes align with the days of the week so there are five episodes and you start on monday and everything kind of culminates and comes to a head on friday so i like that it aligns um but yeah it was satisfying just to check it off because i've been getting into longer games and it's easy to lose steam if if you have 80 hours in a game and you just keep going so i enjoyed it yeah i think that's a good point because then you could be like all right well i saw this little little section of story and that usually there's a little bit of cliff cliffhanger too at, mm-hmm. at the end of each episode you're like oh what's going to happen next but you also feel kind of satisfied like oh i did that whole entire scene and i saw that scene through so i think that really adds to it and of course this was released over the course of about a year or so so that uh i actually didn't experience it live there there's i don't think i've ever experienced the episodic game as it came out i feel like i always end up going back to it after the fact like and just playing it all in one setting and sitting because I kind of get impatient waiting for the story or forget the, the story beats and stuff. So I think the episodic format's good for if you're playing it back to back for me. But if it's like, OK, I got episode one and two and now I got to wait two months for episode three. I kind of lose steam when it's like live uh, coming out, you know, as I'm playing it. So I usually wait for it to all bank up and then I play it all in one week or, or a couple weeks or whatever. I was thinking, too, because of the storyline itself and because it is a little bit darker at times and it's kind of emotional. I, I like that it was in about two hour segments because I couldn't play eight hours of this game at a time. So it kind of broke it up a little bit better for me to have like snack size bites. Um, so I could do like two episodes a night or every couple of days um, just because it does take a toll on you a little bit. So there's five chapters, like we were saying. What chapter sticks out the most to you? Which chapter did you just finish and then you were just floored at the end? You're like, man, that was amazing. What is your favorite chapter in the game? I don't know if it's my favorite chapter, but it was definitely chapter two with the events with Kate on the roof at the end of chapter two that left the biggest impression on me, both in the short term and in the long term. But I will say my plan was to play in my replay was to play this game one chapter per day and kind of like go play it in the course of a week in the same way that the the game plays out but when i got to the end of chapter four and like re-hit the like dramatic reveal big bad cliffhanger going on there i had to break my own rule because i was like no i absolutely have to resolve all this tension i'm not going to go to bed and sleep on like all these rough feelings and things that i have and so um, I would say that four does a pretty good job being compelling too, because it demanded I play five immediately. Okay, I think that my favorite, like that's probably my favorite moment in the game, just in general. The big bad, uh, what's the the, the uh, doctor's, what's the teacher's name? Mister Jefferson. Mister Jefferson. Jefferson. Yeah. Then you, the first time that happened, I did not see that coming. I kind of on the replay. And you kind of see his personality. You kind of can see it more because you already know what's going to happen, right? In the back of your head. But in the first 
playthrough, he just seemed like a teacher. Like I never thought about him twice. I thought Nathan was the bad guy. They really do a good bait and switch. I think during that scene, because then you're, you're trying to find Nathan. And of course you find Rachel Amber's body, which you're trying to find throughout the entire game. And then that scene always chokes me up to you, man. That's, that's Mm -hmm. very depressing. Oh my God. Anyway, then you find out that, you know, you Chloe gets shot. You get you get stabbed in the neck. You think it's Nathan, then of course, big reveal, it's Jefferson. So when that hit, I can't imagine having to wait for another episode to come out. Imagine like that <laughs> came out. You play that, and then it's like, oh, the game episode chapter five comes out in two months or whatever it is. I don't think I could wait. I would I would be really stressed out the whole time. Like, what happened? What happened? You know. So yeah, yeah. This was my first time playing it, and I was blindsided by that. I think looking back. There was a clue that I probably missed because there's a section of the game where Max is in the principal's office with Mr. Jefferson, uh, Nathan, and then David. And the principal asks you, you know, who do you blame for whatever decision it was at the time? And I think I blamed David. But I was going back and forth between Nathan and David of who's the bigger villain right now. And never once did I think Mr. Jefferson. So then the fact that they threw him in as an option it made me kind of second guess of like, am I missing something? Is he actually the behind the scenes villain? But then, yeah, at the end of chapter or episode four, I was blindsided by that. I was like, are you kidding me? But it was really good. I liked it. It's so funny you say that because I will admit that I forgot who the villain was on my replay. Like I played this game five years ago, you know, cut me a little bit of slack, (laughs) but it, it wasn't until that scene where I was given those three choices and I was like, Mr. Jefferson, that's weird. And then like the floodgates of my memory opened up and I remembered what the rest of the game was going to be like. And so I had the exact same experience even on a replay. <laughs> and then I I took him down. Yeah. Yeah. And one other aspect of that is in one of the rewinds when Max is back in the initial classroom setting, you hear Mr. Jefferson's lecture like six times throughout the game. And in that lecture, he keeps saying like I would photograph or not necessarily verbatim, but basically it's easy to photograph someone in um, like in their innocence when that switches over to fear or however he phrases that. But um, that's something that is a clue that I completely missed like the first four times until I saw the dark room. And then that verbiage mm-hmm. started kind of resonating with the rest of the game. But Even they do, as he's yeah. talking about like the interplay between black and white in like mm-hmm. shadow yeah. photography. If you know to listen for it, you can tell there's like a real Disney villain, like a honey in his voice as he's <laughs> talking about that, or you, you kind of side eye him a little bit, but yeah, they do a good job foreshadowing. Yeah. I never particularly liked Mr. Jefferson at all. Actually, <laughs> like when, uh, he first showed, he seemed like the, the skeevy <laughs> teacher. Douche. Yeah. Like, um, like I was actually genuinely surprised that he didn't take Victoria up on her offer to like do, do some extra credit work <laughs> or whatever, however you want to put that. Like I was, I, I thought he was definitely going to be that kind of person. So the reveal at the end of chapter four was actually very satisfying. Cause like, yes, I, I knew he, like, I didn't think he was the killer, but it's just like, he wasn't, he was a dirtbag. Right. I think that chapter five is probably is probably the hardest chapter of any game. It's up there for me to play because of course throughout the entire game you've been the storm has been coming, okay, the during the entire thing. So this is when the storm hits and you're seeing people die and it's just, you know, the entire bay is just destroyed and you know all your friends are going to die or like a good portion of them and Chloe's mom's going to die in the diner and it's just this insane moment. And then of course you have that flashback where you are that weird, like, I don't know where she goes. Is that in her head? All that stuff where she's seeing like all the people like, uh, like different moments, like flashbacks and stuff. Or is that like an alternate weird reality that she created because she kept rewinding time? It's kind of unclear, but after all that, and then you have that big decision at the end where you have to either save Chloe or save Arcadia Bay. And of course, that's the probably the most talked about scene in this game. Everybody was like, oh, what'd you pick? Whatever. But for me personally, let's go ahead and get into the ending. Why not? For me personally, it's a really tough choice. I both times I ended up saying saving Arcadia Bay. It's just too hard for me to have all those bodies 
on my conscience just to save this. It's an extraordinary love story. They love each other. They've been through a lot. So for me, the journey of them falling in love will be a part of Max's memories forever. You know, that would, that's, that's how I view it. But if they would have went off into the sunset together, there would be this death count that would be haunting them forever. So that's how I feel about the ending. And I feel like that's the best choice. I'm not sure if the developers feel that way. I, I feel like that ending's pretty well developed, but anyway, so what ending options did you guys pick? I I chose the same ending as you. Um, I chose to save Arcadia Bay, and the reason I did that, and I had to pause at this one too because it took me a little bit of time, but I felt like Chloe was almost giving Max permission in like the few moments before the decision because she said, like, again, we'll have all of these memories, but like my mom doesn't deserve this and even David doesn't deserve this. And she said at one point to like look at how many times you saved me, Max. And it seems like we're just delaying the inevitable. So in my head like she was kind of meant to pass, but if we keep delaying it, it'll eventually happen but then Max won't be able to save her. So I felt like Chloe was kind of giving her permission at that point to like save save their families and friends. So, and I was I was really happy with how that played out. I mean, I was terrified and sad and losing Chloe was horrible, but like the way it wrapped up with um Chloe's funeral and then the blue butterfly came and landed on her coffin, I thought there was a lot of symbolism in that. It's actually very similar to the choice that Chloe has already asked Max to make in chapter 3. In the alternate timeline, like in both times, she's asking you to let her die. Um, And (laughs) so it's I I think the game is already setting you up in the third chapter for the decision that you make at the end of the fifth chapter. And I think probably. I'm not sure, Lauren, which which decision you made for uh, Chloe in the alternate timeline, but I know Josh did choose to let Chloe die both times, basically. So I was curious if you if you made a similar decision as as Josh did. Yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up because I didn't I didn't draw that parallel, but that's a good one. Um, so I chose to not pull the plug on Chloe, and I didn't let her OD the first round. But I think I needed the two the two episodes to kind of process <laughs> that and like the shock initially in chapter three of potentially letting her go, and then I think I was ready for it in episode five. As much as that pained me to do. Um, at that point, I kind of saw the ramifications. If I did try to keep saving Chloe, what would happen? And the game at that point, I mean, they really have sort of driven home the theme that not that you can't change the past, but that it just keeps kind of spiraling and becoming more and more complicated. And so I think thematically they are kind of pushing you towards going back and not saving Chloe and to save Arcadia Bay. I'm curious, and I actually couldn't piece this out. I don't know if any of you have worked this out, but I think that narrative level works well. Like they really reinforced, I felt like they reinforced my decision uh, to save Arcadia Bay and to go back in time and not do anything. But I guess I don't know why, if there is a narrative structural reason why we were given the powers in the first place. Like I'm trying to think what lesson does the game want to teach by giving powers to max and then punishing her for using them i think what's really cool about max the second time that she goes through um and answers or makes decisions decisions is she's a lot more confident the second time so i think what it's teaching her a little bit is just to be bold the first time and go with your gut and then just not second guess it as much because like we've all kind of said, um, in any of the decisions, you want to go back and you want to change it, but then you feel guilty each time. So just stand behind your decisions, make the best decision you have at the time with the information you have. And I really saw a lot of growth in Max, at least from that. So hopefully moving forward, now that she doesn't have the ability to rewind time, she'll go forward with that mindset. I like that. That's a, that's a much more intelligent interpretation than mine, which was... <laughs> I don't know. I guess the butterfly goes away. I think part (laughs) of it too is the idea of regret and letting things go. 
because one of Chloe's biggest problems is not being able to let go of the pain that she's had in her past, and that's what's kind of led her down the path that she's on now. And by the end of the story, which is as much Chloe's story as it is Max's, she has learned to let it go and to to move, let Max move forward and to stop pulling Max back towards the past and what they used to have. And because the whole time, Chloe is very is kind of a destructive influence on Max. But by the end of the story, she's she's telling Max to let go of her guilt for leaving her behind and not reaching out to her. And so I think by the two decisions are sum up basically Max's character arc in terms of whether or not she's willing to, if she's going to be this person who can't let go of the past and is more selfish and clings to Chloe and vice versa, or if she has learned anything from what's happened. And so I think narratively, either way, you do have an interesting arc for both characters. It's just how the decision that they make at that point and the decision you make at that point. I think we all said our decision, but you haven't yet. What was your decision, Dylan? Oh, I let the town burn. Um, it's it's Chloe and Max for life. So um, it's it's all gone. It was a tough decision. Like it's not like I just like clicked the the button and just and moved on. I, I had to take a step back and think about it. And but afterwards, I felt pretty solid about it. Like it was a terrible decision to make. Like I'm I'm fully aware that that was not the right decision to make in a lot of ways uh but i still feel pretty solid about it and i'm probably going to play the game again and pick that same ending again <laughs> uh they actually have graphic novels that go off of that decision and with max keeping her powers so there are three of them out so far so i actually watched the ending to it that specific ending just so i had that primer the, the you know the story primer to read those cuz i actually plan to go purchase the purchase those and check them out just to see what the, i don't know if they're the original writers of the story or who actually wrote this i didn't actually look into that but it is a continuation of the max and chloe uh adventure with her keeping her powers so that's interesting to me i kind of want to see where they take that story thread you know forward yeah it's i i am curious because Assuming that Max does make the decision, clearly she hasn't learned it. So how far does she continue to use those powers and the consequences for that? Because um, even though she makes that decision at the end, or I made that decision at the end of the game, and uh, it's after seeing, because the whole ending is you driving through the town and seeing the aftermath of what has happened as a result of the tornado. Uh, so I'm curious to see how, how that plays out and and the later stories yeah and there's a sequel game uh life is strange 2 where you play as different characters and uh when you turn that game on the first thing they ask you is if you destroyed arcadia bay or not so it's in the same universe which i thought was pretty fascinating i haven't really played much of that but uh do you guys plan to play the sequel to this game uh since you went through this entire thing i definitely do i the sequel and before the storm i'd both like to get around to at some point feel like two came out to not so much fanfare when when the first game came around a lot of people were talking about it but i don't really remember a lot of people talking about two i wonder if it's a, a hidden gem waiting to be discovered yeah some people did mention it and i did hear some good people saying oh yeah the story is really awesome i did hear that a couple times but it was like a passing thing it didn't like hit like this one did i think the first one hit so hard because it kind of came out of nowhere everybody's like what is this and then everybody loved it so i think it just kind of flew under the radar yeah it looks like it was reviewed well so it's not like it it flopped or, or you know just crashed and burned so you're gonna check it out lauren the sequel yeah i think definitely the prequel as well um because i really want to know more about rachel amber and chloe's relationship um but yeah life is strange 2 is definitely on the the backlog of games now it just keeps growing so <laughs> Okay, I, I kind of want to talk about the graphics a little bit because this game came out at the tail end of the PS3 and like the beginning of the PS4 generation. And I think that it actually ages pretty well for the time it came out. It, like it doesn't look super modern, but if you kind of put your eyes through like a, an indie, you know, indie lens, I guess, and look through through the, the indie lens, it doesn't look too bad to me. Uh, what do you guys think about the graphics overall and like the art style and everything? Yeah, I thought it was really fitting for the style of game um, because I don't think the characters the characters can be too expressive because there are so many different options as far as 
not even the big options of the decisions in the game, but even just all the little interactions that you can have with characters throughout, if they're too expressive, it would it would just be a nightmare for the designers and the developers to be able to um, have all of those different pathways. So I think for the style of the game, I really like their choice um, for the overall imagery. I think they do a good job uh, with the scenery and the lighting. I think that really adds to a lot of it. I do think that it does kind of suffer from video game narrative syndrome where everything, everybody's kind of like standing straight face talking to each other sometimes, <laughs> you know, to so like, how are you doing? How are you doing? And they're kind of just like straight face, you know, which is okay. And it actually works in a lot of scenes. And there are a lot of moments where they do do very like expressive things with, especially Max and Chloe. I think definitely that's the focus because Sometimes I'm talking to Warren and there's just nothing going on behind his eyes. He looks like he he he, he just he just looks kind of dead inside a little bit. Just just the way he's animated and stuff. But Dare I mean, you talk about Warren that way. <laughs> hey, Warren's all right. He's okay. Right. He did. Did you guys choose to beat the crap out of uh, Nathan with Warren during that scene? Because I was like, he's, he started beating uh, the crap out of Nathan, and I was like, no, he's he's just beat him up. Just do it. I no, I, I stopped him, but that's because Warren is precious cargo. I'm not going to let him get into a scrap and get hurt, all right? He he already beat him up a little. <laughs> I'm pulling him back now. Yeah, I, I stopped him too. Did you guys decide to go to the movies with Warren? Oh, my gosh. I If this was in real life, I would have been <laughs> so hard up for Warren. Like Any opportunity he gave me to be like, you want to go to the movies? You want to hang out? I was always like... Yeah, man, I will. I will be there. Wait for me, Warren. <laughs> I didn't even know it was possible to go to the movies with Warren. Like, I I pushed him so far away from Max that I <laughs> I, I barely saw him in the game. You don't actually go, but he asks you, um, and you like make all of his dreams come true by saying yes. He's like, he texts you every day about it. He's like, are we still on? I bought the tickets, and he's so excited. And I feel like the game just wanted you to friend zone him, but he he seems like such a nice guy, so I felt bad. I picked going to the movies with him. I mean, I probably straight up murdered him too. So uh, by destroying the <laughs> town, so <laughs> he got friend zoned and then died in a tornado. In my story, I, that's the hardest moral choice of all. How could you friend zone him? <laughs> He's got the movie hookups. He's your guy. <laughs> he got a hug. So before I, I changed time, so he, he got a hug before I left. That's the punctuation on the friend zone. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I still chose to hug him too. So me yeah. too. Yeah. I think that was more appropriate because especially if you kiss Chloe earlier and it's like, ah, oh, kiss Chloe and then hug him. It kind of made more logical sense to me. Yeah, that's what I did too. So Blink. You seem so Blink. disappointed, Blink. <laughs> <laughs> bunch of, bunch of chumps in here. You don't, you don't respect a nice guy. This, this is why they say nice guys finish last. I'm I mean, just, I'm in just real kidding. life I married one. So does that count for anything? Uh, yes, I'll give I'll give you credit for that. That's true. <laughs> All right, Blink. Earlier you mentioned the music and sound. What? Why don't you just tell us what you how you feel about it? What's some of the standout tracks in the music? Blah blah blah. What's the some of the standout music in this game and uh, anything stick out for you specifically? Uh, this is an interesting one because I couldn't pull a specific track up to say like this in particular was my favorite, but. It just had the vibe of, um, and this is something that happened to me back in the day, where like a friend makes you, like they burn you a mix CD or something of music that they know that you're into, but they think that maybe you haven't heard of. And so you're listening to it and it's all like unfamiliar songs, but ones that you're you're very much feeling and vibing on. Uh, and so the house, whole soundtrack was like that. But I think where they're best with it is at the end of every chapter when they're playing because that's usually when it's like the more like three or four piece band like actual indie artist music that's playing uh when they're playing that music and lining it up to like different scenes of different characters and them just kind of like living their lives i think lauren mentioned that earlier that is where it's most effective because they do a really good job setting tone with the music that they pick to like lead you into feeling a certain way about the characters that they're showing you and what they're doing in their, in their day-to-day. -day. Well said. Anybody have any other comments about the music and the sound effects? If any of the sounds stood out to you, like the rewind sound, anything like that? 
I will say the sound effect where you get an item or find something that you need started to get a little inappropriate when you're in like the murder dungeon because it's such a happy little sound and then it's just it was playing <laughs> at very weird times and it was just like this is kind of breaking the mood a little bit but for the most part the soundtrack and the sound effects really helped get into the mood of the story especially in the time that the game was released maybe think very much of like that era i guess from seven eight years ago yeah and blink i definitely agree with um the final song in each episode setting the tone and i think my favorite is the song that played at the very end um because they're I mean, I guess it could change depending on which ending you chose, but if you choose to save Arcadia Bay, there's a song that plays with male vocals, and I just feel like that was such like an emotional song to tie it all together, mm -hmm. and so I really like that. And I feel like the overall soundtrack I could just listen to in the background when I'm working or something or studying. Um, it was just such a calming um, soundtrack overall, but yeah, that, that final song in the game just kind of wrapped it all up with a bow for me. They knew that they had to make that song good because you're not going to see what's on screen as water pours down your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Too true. I was going to say, I do like the sound effects for like the rewind sound effects really well done. And I like that you're going to die sound effect that I can't do it. You know what I'm talking about? Like it turns <laughs> black and white and everything gets like, I, th I thought that was a really cool just sound effect. Just uh, mm -hmm. that kind of just stands out to me. Okay. Before we get into the final thoughts. Do you guys have anything you want to talk about? Anything, any random thought about the game that you just want to get out there before we wrap up our final thoughts for the game? There's one thing that I didn't point out that I really like. And there are, so as you play through and like in different environments and in different circumstances, you'll come across spots where you can just sit down and like decompress. And Max will sort of like synthesize the story that's happened so far, but also kind of like like work through and expand on some of the things you've seen in like a very believable, what I feel like is a very natural way. And as she's like having that sort of internal monologue that you're listening to, the camera does a lot of interesting cuts to like, here's like a wide shot of this entire area. Here's like a very close up shot at like a sharp angle of a bird in its nest or something. And it like, it does a good job like filling in the world with like life and detail. But also I think that some of the best, like some of the best writing in the game actually comes in those moments. Cause they're very much writing, like very focused, very like honest thoughts that Max has. I, I really enjoyed those, those moments too. And whenever I found those spots, those usually kind of have a nice place to like decompress a little bit, especially when the story is getting a little heavy and just, being able to relax and unwind and let the the game take over for for a few minutes. I actually like to read uh, Max's diary quite a bit. I usually did after, <laughs> so I'd play a chapter and then I would read all the things she was thinking inside of you know and writing down inside of her diary about what's going on in the next chapter. So I'm getting kind of refresh my memory, even if I just played the last chapter. I, it kind of refreshes my memory of what's going on, but then you kind of see from her what her mental process is as she's going through everything. And it's actually very detailed and they go through the storyline like point by point by point. And then it kind of has her inner thoughts too. If you read all that stuff, but it is a lot of reading inside there, but I did appreciate that small detail. I got the feeling that was because it was an, an episodic game that you have a couple of months between games. So here's a, a nice little mechanic, but I, I also not every chapter, but in the middle of each chapter, I'd like sit down and see it because she'll give you more information about the decisions you made too. And so it's just like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that because she's framing it in a more negative way than I thought it was. But it's it was it was a nice to go back and, and reread, especially the first few months that you weren't like when she started at the school and everything. Definitely. And I did like the collectibles in this game, which the collectibles are you just find pictures in the environment and I kind of used this as a game for myself. I didn't look any of them up and I was like, I'm going to get the platinum this time because that's the only thing that besides the story trophies that pop when you beat the story element, you know, story chapters, you have to find 10 specific pictures in the environment to get the collectibles in each chapter. So it's like 50 or so. I had a lot of fun because it actually if you beat a chapter and it has like each section of the chapter where you can see, see how many photos are in each section. So it'd be like zero out of three. It's like, OK, 
I'll go jump in there and then try to find the three pictures. And then I kind of made it like a game for myself this time and ended up getting all the pictures and just like living in the moments mul multiple times. But hey, it was still a good time just to find some really ridiculous ones. Like at the very end, when you're walking through like the dormitories over and over again, kind of walking in everybody <laughs> else's shoes, if you look out the window, there are giant squirrels out there that you could take a picture of, like gigantic ones. So I thought that was pretty fun. But yeah, I thought that was a fun mechanic. I thought, thought it was a really uh, good way to add just a little bit more replayability if you wanted to go through it again. The smartest thing they did is give you the like pencil sketched outline of roughly what the picture is going to be of. So you always have it in the back of your mind. Like you can look and see, okay, this is the like it's a skeleton wearing a silly hat. And so then you're, you're always looking out for a skeleton. And then when you see one, you're like, all right, how am I going to get a silly hat onto that skeleton? Cause I got a photo <laughs> I need to take. <laughs> yeah. And I think one other aspect of the game that I really liked is just some of the symbolism. That's really easy to miss. Um, like for example, there's a doe that just keeps popping up. So you see a deer in the junkyard and then, it's on Max's shirt, and then in the final cutscene, she has a doe necklace on, um, which typically a deer represents innocence. Mm -hmm. And I think that was just really meaningful as a part of the game, especially with the dark room. And just it just kind of, I don't know, was around Max quite a bit. Like you didn't see the deer um, associated with anyone else, but it was always around Max. So just kind of playing on her innocence and how that kind of develops throughout the game, I thought was a really cool uh, story note too. Yeah. And me talking about the pictures, there's a spot where the doe's there and you can go take a picture of it. And then there's nothing in the shot. Cause it's kind of like in her head type of thing, which I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. It comes out and it's like, um, you can like see through the deer, which I thought was just how I took the photo, but I really like that you can take a photo of Max taking a photo of the deer, which is cool. One other thing, the developers are very obviously massive Twin Peaks fans. This game has so <laughs> many Twin Peaks references. Like the license plate says Twin Peaks, I think on Chloe's car. Um, there's a doctor. When you're like reading notes from the doctor, the doctor's name is Dr. Jacoby. It's just, th there's tons of nods to, um, to Twin Peaks in here. So having played it and then I watched Twin Peaks and then playing it a second time, I was like, wow. This is full of references. Hot dang. I do want to ask you guys before we uh, wrap up thoughts is do you guys think the dialogue is cringy in this game? Like the hellas and stuff? Because I know a lot of that's a lot of a lot of people will complain about that just on the whole, like, you know, oh, they this doesn't actually feel like how teenagers talk or blah blah blah. Do you guys think the, the dialogue's cringy or do you think it's fine? I th I thought I think it's it works for what it is. Uh Shakabra, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it can feel a little bit like it's it's someone a much older person trying to write for high school students because I don't think hello was even being really said in 2013 at that point. Um, but for the most part, I think it's fine. Uh, there's there's a couple of hot spots where it's just like, oh, bleh. but for the most part, I think I think the dialogue is fine and and actually works very well. I do think it is a little cringy, but I think it has to be right. Like the whole game is sort of getting you into a teenage state of mind it's getting you into your teenage cringe it's getting you into this like kind of very melodramatic place and so at when i first started it up i was like oh man this is this is a lot but then it very quickly just sort of became the the tone of the world that they wanted to have and i was i was fine with it i think in the end it actually fits the game better than you might think Awesome. So what we're going to do to wrap up this section of the show is we're going to talk about our final thoughts. So in a few sentences, would you recommend this game? Obviously, people, if they are listening to this, hopefully played the game already. But why do you recommend this game? And just wrap up your thoughts in a, a couple of sentences. I would definitely recommend this game. I haven't played a lot of other games like it. Um, and but I'm definitely going to actually start looking for more like it and probably going to ask you guys for some recommendations. Uh, but I, I, I think it has it has a very powerful story that's very well told and does so in a very interesting way. Um, 
and I really enjoyed my time in the game. As as awful as some moments in the game are emotionally, just the, the gut punch from it, it's what makes the game memorable for me. Yeah, and for me, I would definitely recommend the game as well. Um, I've recently been looking for games with a little bit more of an emotional punch to them, um, and this game definitely fits that bill. But I would recommend for people just in the first chapter, um, or I guess first episode, go through and talk to as many people as you mm-hmm. can, because I think it really builds a foundation for the rest of the game. I feel like I spent way too much time in the first episode just looking at pictures and reading people's notebooks and everything. But I think that really set the tone for the rest of the game. So highly recommended. And I would just echo what they've already said. I mean, this is one of my favorite uh, like narrative choice based adventure games. Um, it's right up there, like with other greats like Walking Dead season one and things like that. I think that it's very well shot, which is weird to say about a game, but it's it's very well shot. It's very well scored. And yeah, if you if you are one of those people that is having a reaction to kind of uh, recoil away from the dialogue because you think it's a little like preteeny or anything like that, I think power through the first chapter, like Lauren said, get to know all the characters and like kind of invest yourself because the I think the story the story and the hooks really kick in starting in chapter two. And if you have played chapter one and kind of gotten familiar with locations and people and things like that, you'll be really invested in the story that follows. So yeah, big recommendation for me. Plus it's an, it's an easy platinum trophy. (laughs) Very true. Very true. Yes. Um, this game is very memorable. I love it. I think that, what's what blink was saying here is that it's shot really well it's very cinematic it does feel like a very uh this could be like an hbo tv series you know it has the punches it doesn't pull punches and it's just a really well done game um it has a couple moments that are a little rough around the edges like i said you know with uh warren being dead behind the eyes a couple times but hey it is what it is. No, it's it's a fantastic game. I highly recommend it, or else I wouldn't have agreed to sit down and talk to you guys about it today. So, to wrap up the show, we're gonna we have a few community reviews. I I went ahead and asked the the czar of the Twitter to send out people for a one sentence review of Life is Strange. So we're gonna just read these off here. At its rocket sauce says. What this game considers the bad ending, I consider it to be the good, the better ending. Which I'm assuming the good ending is saving Arcadia B, and the bad ending is the one Dylan picked, right? According to the devs. That would be my guess. <laughs> yeah. So, do you guys uh, agree with that? I, I don't. I don't agree with it. Obviously, Dylan does. Um, I I do. I, I, every time, push the button. <laughs> I've experienced both, and I will say I chose the same ending as Dylan the first time I played, and I had no second guessing or or thoughts that I made the wrong choice at all. Having played it and chosen the other option this time, I think that the this time around, it to me felt like it coalesced with the narrative a little more. But I don't actually think that there's a wrong choice, and I actually think that you could probably pull some themes and some like elements out of the game to reinforce either decision you make, depending on how you approach it. Yeah. And I think it's, it's less about the best answer, right or wrong answer, but it's more about your justification behind it. So, um, I, I think people just have different reasons for choosing what they choose. Um, but I think it's, it's more fun just to hear the background of what compelled them to make that decision. Cool. And we got, church at the game grinder that at the underscore game grinder said steve what did he say a powerful and emotional story of choice and repercussions wrapped in a teenage drama and murder mystery which is a very succinct way i think of summarizing what we all took an hour to just say that yeah <laughs> yeah i agree <laughs> and at kayla 19 swbx said dylan the emotional roller coaster of this trippy game was amazing. Loved this game. And I would agree with that statement. At Scott Game Asylum is one of these people that doesn't like the writing. He says 40 something <laughs> French man writes teenage cringe. Sounds like 
Scott, you should play through to chapter two. That's my recommendation for you. But fair, fair. And at Corpse Flood says, a great story that ends up at a sort of Mass Effect 3 ending, which I'm not familiar with. I know people don't like that ending. Uh, I'm guessing what Corpse Flood is saying is that uh, like all of your choices end up sort of funneling down to just one big decision in the end, like down to one A or B rather than a lot of nuanced choice. But yeah, I don't know. I think it actually, in the case of Life is Strange, works pretty well. I mean, I don't know that by the time you get to the decision in chapter five, you've like made so many decisions. You've done so many time hops. You've like reversed course and done things different ways and hopped through time so many times that it's like, it's already sort of confusing to follow the thread of exactly what events have occurred in the timeline you're in. So I think one large thematic choice is fitting. And at Robots Need Hugs says, Lauren. I played it by committee with friends when it first came out and was excited to play it again solo with full control. Pretty sure I made the exact same choices, even the little stuff that doesn't really matter. So much for free will, I guess. Okay, two thoughts. One, excellent handle. And then two, I actually did that too in my replay. A lot of the decisions I made the same way a second time. I think it's you do kind of have your your moral code that you want to stick to, and it's really hard to deviate from it. Yeah, I think that playing this type of game with friends, I wish I had that experience. I want to do that someday because I feel like everybody making decisions together, it would just be a really fun time. Mm. I play all these games with my partner, and she she doesn't play, but she likes to watch a lot. And it is so stressful because you it's a 2x multiplier on all the decisions you make and all the bad repercussions that come out of those decisions if you if you say something and it ends up biting you later then then you're you're accountable to yourself and to someone else for letting them down so it can be a double-edged sword thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the cartridge club i had a great time doing it i always enjoy hosting this show february's game of the month is wonder boy 3 the dragon's trap if you're playing along or just discussing the game with us, make sure to let us know by hitting up, hitting us up on Twitter at Cartridge Club NA or join our Discord. For those wanting to get a head start on March's Game of the Month, it's Ghostbusters on the 360 and PS3, and it's recently been remastered, so check it out. And if you're ever interested in being a guest on the show, just reach out to us. We're always looking forward to having new community members on to talk about the games that they love. and the spin-off show, The Quick Save Club, which I am a part of, is doing racing games the rest of January, and then in February we're doing the indie game Faster Than Light, which or FTL, which I really like. I think it's a fun game. And to those of you interested in supporting the club beyond a review on the podcast app of your choice, I'd like to again mention that the club is entirely funded by pledges made from members of our community. We are extremely grateful to these supporters, and if you're interested in becoming one of them, please look into how you can at patreon.com slash cartridge club. But thank you guys so much for joining me for the show. Um, I had a good time. And if you guys want to plug your stuff, let's do that right now. Lauren, where can they find you on the internet? Yeah, thanks again for having me on the show. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Gizmos Game Room. Dylan, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, thank you very much for having me. Um, so really, if I'm doing anything of interest, um, I'll be posting about it on my Twitter at uh, dcharles. So if I have anything coming down the pipeline, I do a lot of writing, um, then that's where I'll post it. And Blink, where can they find you on the internet? Yeah, the best places to find me are on Twitter or Twitch, both of which are at Blinkoom. That's Blink O-O-M, M like Max Caulfield. Awesome, and you can find me at Frantic Society on Twitter, on the Indie Quest podcast on the Polyhill Network, which Steve is my co-host, or Blink, which I've, I brought him on here because we're the indie duo, so I, I just wanted to have him here because I like talking to him. This game's got the indie vibes. It really does. It's not really an indie game. It kind of pushes the line a little bit because it's published by Square Enix, but hey. It's got indie yeah. music. Like I said, it, it has an indie feel, even if it's not an indie game. Definitely. So... Check out that podcast. Check out that network. Uh, great people over there. And thank you guys for listening to The Cartridge Club. 
We look forward to hearing from you next month. CC Unite. Max, a couple tats, some piercings, and we'll make a thrasher out of you yet. Ready for the mosh pit, Shaka Bra? Maybe not. <laughs>